Hello and welcome to Toxic as Fuck, where we are creating conversations around toxicity, how it manifests, and what we're doing to heal. I'm your host, Ellis, and on today's episode, I am joined by Kristen Iris. We talk about systematic racism, being black and white spaces, and our experiences as black women in America. Enjoy. Kristen. Hello. Hi. Can uh, you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, I am a film producer, a speaker, and a coach. And I, in particular, work with, actually not in particular, I specifically work with Black creatives, creative being anyone doing anything in any arena, because innovating, excelling, trying to progress, all of that takes a creative mind. So I work with Black creatives on doing the deep personal work that they need to to cultivate liberation, joy, and power, and to step their creative pursuit, whatever that is, up to the next level so that they can have a powerful impact on their community or the world or anyone, um, any, any way that they want to actually have an impact. So that is the gist of what I do. <laughs> I love that so much because I feel like us as a Black community, we've only just started to kind of be like oh this is okay to talk about you know (laughs) (laughs) yes and um I mean I think that it's it's important for us to have black coaches and therapists and leaders that we turn to because for example some of the things that I work with my clients on like the Oreo complex um is a big one right now um that I'm about to go into starting a program is, you know, the ways that you've been told that you're not black enough, the ways you've been othered from your community. Like you can't go to white people for that. You can't, you know, like there's some things that like we need to address within ourselves and that you need someone who has had the experience or who has, who understands what it's like to walk through the world the way that you do. And so for me, I'm able to create a space for black folks to be heard, to be seen, to really share their experiences, to work through the ways that systemic oppression and their internalized oppressions and social conditionings, toxic social conditionings have really impacted them and are holding them back and to, you know, make breakthroughs with that. And I have found as someone who has worked with white coaches that you can, you can progress to a point, but there's always that, like, am I about to get pushback? There's always like a little bit of apprehension or there's actually like a lot of harm that um, white coaches will often do when they haven't unpacked their own shit. So uh, I'm here for unpacking, for helping people to unpack, to dismantle, to heal, and to really set their creative work um, and their endeavors up to the next level or wherever it is that they want to take it. I also have a podcast. (laughs) So I'm also a podcaster as well. It's one of my creative, creative avenues. Beautiful. I was actually listening to your podcast earlier and I was like, oh, she's going off. Like... (laughs) (laughs) I do I do go off like I do a combination of like guest episodes and solo episodes and have many sods so it's just like sometimes I'm just like I'm going deep in on this and I'm going to give you guys some tips for some stuff and we're going to talk about the white supremacy in this in this thing that doesn't look like it has white supremacy in it so you know but it's important to like bring that awareness and and if you're not aware you can't do anything about it you know, right. and there's so many of us that because we've been indoctrinated in a white supremacist society, there's a lot of toxicity that is normalized. And if we don't actually see, if we don't actually like become aware of what those things are that are normalized, but are actually toxic or are white supremacist or are harmful in some way, then we can't actually do anything about it. And when we start doing something about it for ourselves, we can create bigger change in the systems that we are having to live in and navigate. Absolutely. I was literally just talking to my therapist about like, how do I weed through what is like me, like my authentic self? And what am I looking at through the lens of like the male gaze and like white patriarchy? (laughs) You know, like how, how, what is it? I don't know. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Yes. And it's a process. Like it's a process that doesn't end. Like I, I spent years kind of like digging through my crap, you know, like that's how I ended up doing this. Is I spent years digging through my crap and going through like layer and layer. And I was like, oh, there's more down here. There's, there's more stuff down here, like into my own crap. And I didn't have like a guide. I didn't have a, a, a process. You know, I was just kind of fumbling through. 
And so once I had done a certain amount of like work and moved through the process to clear certain things, I was like, wow, I could really help people by like bringing this to other people. Like I have tools, I have strategies now, like things that I had collected over the years from got everything from like teaching yoga, from doing martial arts, from books, from working with different people, like all of these different things that I had collected. I'm like, I can really help people give them that guidance and structure through the process instead of them fumbling through like I was, you know? And, and so it's a process that doesn't end. Like you go through it, you might clear some things, be like, all right, cool. I'm at the next level, feeling good, got some <laughs> awareness, did some healing. And then, you know, something else comes up and you're like, all right, let's go back through this process because there's some new shit coming up for me, <laughs> you know, but the, the work never stops. The process, the process is one that you, you get to repeat and, uh, you know, just like our work to dismantle our own internalized oppressions, our own internalized racism. That's work that we have to do, you know, every day it's constant, it's never ending, but it's really clears the way and opens up new avenues for you in every area of your life. Absolutely. And it's like so hard. I feel like that's why a lot of us like don't end up unpacking a lot of the things that we have because it's like, okay, you got to dig in, you got to do the deeper work, but you also have to look at the surface stuff that we go through every day because of our skin or our hair or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I have to deal with this every day, then go home and sit with it and uh, dive into it. And I've noticed for myself, like you have like physical reactions to like those triggers and things that can oh, make absolutely. you like require coil and be like, absolutely not, not, not even going to touch that box, you know? Absolutely. That's actually, it's interesting that you said that because that's the first thing that I do with my clients, whether it's like solo or group is getting them into their body is getting them into their breath that you take that from my yoga days, <laughs> but getting them into their body, because if you're, we, we live in a culture that values numbing out mm -hmm. and especially for black folks there's this, um, we're taught not to trust ourselves. We're taught that we're not smart enough, that we don't have the answers. We have to defer to whiteness. So when we, we have this culture of numbing out and this society, this societal message that we can't trust our own wisdom. And so we're constantly either intellectualizing or trying to, trying to find the answers from elsewhere. Mm. So when you get connected into your body, you can tune into like, what am I actually feeling here? Oh, is this fear? Oh, am I angry? Am I, am I allowed to acknowledge this anger? Because we also get vilified for emotions like that, for mm -hmm. anger. Um, so getting into your body is one of the very first things that I have my clients do and getting into their breath because it also grounds them so that, you know, when those emotions, those anxiety inducing emotions come up and you're feeling tension in your body, you can like, Ooh, you can bring that down a little bit so you can think clearer and you can kind of move through and navigate the emotions and the things that are coming up for you. I love that because I'm literally, when you're saying like, when you're talking about emotions and we can't be angry, I'm immediately like thinking of um, how a lot of the times in the black community, like we're not really taught to communicate those emotions or like where we have to stuff them down. Like as women, you can't be to this or to that. As men, you can't be too sensitive. Uh, and it's just like all these things, labels of like constantly being put into a box and having to kind of like stay in there. And then when you try to break out, it's kind of like, these thoughts that you build up for like what, years, decades, you're, you're constantly fighting against yourself. It's like a push and pull all the time where it's like, oh, is this the right thing? Because like you said, like our, our instinct is not to really fight against the things that have been, become a habit for us. It's to stay in that where we're comfortable. Yes. And a lot of those habits, those thought patterns and things are things that are bred out of survival Mm. So sur their survival tactics and a lot of them got passed down generationally from parents and grandparents and great grandparents and, you know, back to like, in if you are a descendant of enslaved Africans, which I mean, not all black people are, um, but like, if you are, uh, you know, or a descendant of like the transatlantic slave trade, then we've learned these survival tactics that helped us survive, but they don't actually help us move forward. Like they helped us get to a point, but they don't help us move forward because they actually pull us back 
from taking some of like the, the courageous steps that we need to, because those courageous steps don't feel safe. And so we also have to learn how to break down those patterns and, and thoughts and habits and actions and start changing them, which is part of the work that I do is like, let's look at how these things have affected you, how they're showing up in your life. And then we can change, we can actually change those patterns and develop new behaviors that are empowering for you and help move you forward. Beautiful. Oh my God. Like literally could talk about this all day. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to jump into the viral talk, which is like, I don't, I I feel like everybody does this, but I go through tweets, Instagram posts, all that. And I'm like, I'm going to screenshot that for later. Like you need to remember. (laughs) (laughs) And so I actually pulled two today. And the first one I wanted your thoughts on, um, I forget where I got it from, but it says, quit letting who you were talk you out of who you're becoming. What are your kind of thoughts when you hear that? Um, I think that ties to what, I, what, what we were just talking about with, with survival. So mm-hmm. I actually do agree. I think that, so as you start to... Um, elevate yourself and you might have different goals or pursuits that stretch your comfort zone. There's a part of you that's like, whoa, 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 get your ass back from the edge. (laughs) You scared me. That's not safe over there. Let's come back over here. And it wants to pull you back into your comfort zone because your comfort zone, even if you're unhappy, you know what you're getting. Mm. So it's safe. Even if it's not safe, it's still kind of safe because you know what you're getting. But as you start stretching your comfort zone, and um, expanding who you are more into who you really are, that feels uncomfortable. It feels unsafe. And so there is a fear that happens. Like fear, I I like to say that fear is the resistance at the edge of your comfort zone, that's fear. Mm. And it's there to try to pull you back to keep you safe. And so that that would be like that person, that old person who's like, oh, let's come back over here. We know, let's, let's stay where we know what's going on, (laughs) you know, but when you are really pushing yourself, I actually don't like the term push because it has a, has a a different kind of connotation like this, like this forcefulness. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be like this forcefulness, but as you start to elevate and expand into more of who you are, there's a little bit of this kind of like wobble, this fluctuation, and this is natural. It's this like wobble between where you want to go and where you're trying to be and then where you were. And part of that is like habit. You're used, you're used to operating in the world in a certain way. You're used to um, how you've been showing up. And so it takes time to change that. So there's a little bit of this wobble, but that back and forth, you don't want to constantly, you don't want to stay in the back. You want to keep going to the forward. Like, okay, this is who, this is who I'm choosing this is what I'm choosing. This is how I'm choosing to operate. It takes time to make that change. So the old you is going to be pulling you back, but you can still keep making progress. So also be kind to yourself, <laughs> you know, as you're in that wobble space, be kind to mm-hmm. yourself, but keep moving forward. It's part of understanding where you have old patterns and habits that hold you back and getting in the habit of like, okay, I'm choosing this different pattern. I'm choosing this different behavior. I'm choosing these different kinds of relationships. I'm setting boundaries I've never set before. Like all of that is part of the becoming of who, who your next evolution. And then that is going to change with the next evolution after that. You're not going to finish, you know, you're going to get to a point. It's like, cool. I quantum leap. I'm at this new evolution. And then that's going to shift as you start stepping up to the next level. That was, that's so interesting. That's one of uh, the questions I was going to bring up is how do you show yourself that compassion when, you're trying to improve yourself because it feels like sometimes when you're taking those steps forward and then you maybe take a step back or it looks like a step back, it's just like the hardest thing because you're like, yeah, I'm expecting this to be such a straight and narrow path when in reality, there's so many bumps and roadblocks to getting to where you need to be. And I feel like we're in this kind of age of like instant gratification where it's like, (laughs) no, but I want to be better. Like, I I want to be done with this, you know? Yeah. So first of all, what you said, it's not a straight line. It is a super zigzag, swirly, like 
if you if you've ever seen like one of those like yarn balls it's like that <laughs> okay like it is this super swirly zigzag tangled up process um and it's not it's not a straight line so when it comes to that compassion is first of all uh we need to stop believing those lies that we've been told about the process of like growth and evolution like even growth which I still use this term, but even growth has a connotation of like upwards, you know, like you grow a plant and like, mm -hmm. I mean, plants actually grow in all different directions, but like this upward, that's why I like to say expand because it's expanding in, in different directions. You know, it's expanding outward. It's expanding upward. It might be expanding downward as you dig down into what's going on for you. But that compassion piece is recognizing that it's a zigzag line. And also we need to remember that the way that we often speak to ourselves is completely different from how we speak to other people. Mm. We can show so many other people compassion or care or, you know, nurturing. And then when it comes to ourselves, it's like, you make one mistake. You're like, Oh, I'm just a fucking idiot. Like I can't believe I did that. And I'm so stupid. What was I doing? And it's like, Whoa, just um, like, is that how you would talk to your best friend? Cause if not, like, rein it in right. <laughs> and treat yourself like your own beloved treat yourself like your own best friend treat yourself like your own like favorite pet whatever it is <laughs> you know but treat yourself with more kindness the way that you would treat someone else um we are our, our worst critics we are our harshest judges and part of that is i think that's a human thing but i think for black people as well is there is both an expectation that we're not going to be as good as everyone else. Mm. And then an expectation for ourselves that we have to work so much harder to be better, to be recognized because people are expecting to see us as less already. And so when you have that setback or you fall back into an old pattern or uh, jump back in bed with an ex, like, then you get this like, oh, I feel really bad and feel really guilty. And I have all this shame and you're talking crap about yourself. And it's because you had to hold yourself to a higher standard because society is already pushing us down. So there's an added element to that for black folks um, in this here. But like, it is that reminder of like, okay, I'm human, I'm making progress, I made this mistake or I had this setback. What am I going to do now going forward and making a choice going forward? And you might fuck it up again. But every time that you make the choice that feels empowering for you, that is um, choosing a new way to operate, that's the win. And that's what you want to, that's what you want to focus. And that's, that's what you want to celebrate. I love that. And you keep saying like the word choice. And I, I, I don't know, I've never really thought of it like that. Like you can choose who you are every single day. You can choose what, what, what you're doing, how you're reacting to something, all of that is such a choice. I feel like we also get into this thing where it's like, well, no, like they made me do that or because they said this or did this. That's why I did that. And it's completely justified and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, there are, Ooh, so that's, a, that's an interesting one because we do have choice and there are outside there are situations that can mm, nudge us mm. <laughs> in a certain direction, but at the end of the day, we still have choice. We have to take responsibility for our part, but take responsibility for only our part. Yeah. Like I have to take ownership of what I did in a situation or how I led myself into a situation. This is really good. This is actually really important when it comes to toxic like relationships mm -hmm. is... I, for example, like I have an ex who was really, who was like an emotionally abusive and I, I'm not going to take ownership for his actions against me, but I can take ownership for the ways that I stayed for the mm -hmm. things that I did that allowed the pattern of behavior to continue. Again, this is not like blaming myself for the abuse that I endured. But it's like, okay, what were the decisions that I made? What were the things that I was thinking? What are the reasons why I stayed and, and kept making this decision? Or what are the things that I was doing that I thought were helping me, but actually were, were putting me back in this situation? And maybe I didn't fully realize that. Like, I had to take ownership of that. And by taking ownership of that, by, by, making, by understanding what my choices were, I have the power to choose differently. It's not just, oh, no, this happened. and 
um, I can't do any, I can't do anything about what happened in the past. I can't do anything about what happened in the future because I didn't have any hand in anything and I didn't have any choice in the matter. No, I chose to stay with him, stay involved with him. It was a situation ship, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I chose, I chose certain things in that situation that perpetuated the situation in a way. Like on my end, there were things that happened or things that I did or like, all right, I'm sitting here and arguing with you instead of leaving. Because to me, arguing with you is like, I'm, I'm proving to you, I'm telling you why you need to treat me better. But at the same time, like I'm telling you why you need to treat me better, but I could also just leave, mm. you know? And I made a choice to stay. And then I had to go back and be like, okay, well, why did I stay? What was going on for me? What are the conditionings that were part of making me believe that this was the right course of action? And understanding those conditionings. Because when I understood that and unpacked it, I was like, cool, I can go now. And you cannot be part of my life. Mm -hmm. And now I have really clear boundaries for romantic slash sexual relationships with people moving forward. And I can uphold those boundaries because I unpacked what I was in before and what my decisions were, my choices, and my responsibility over my own happiness and my well-being. And my ability to choose, okay, this is not actually the relationship I need to be in. This is not actually the kind of person I need to have in my life that goes to more than romantic and sexual relationships, can be friendships, can even be family. But to actually look at that and make a choice is your power. Your power is your choice. Now, we don't have choice over everything. Mm. We don't, don't have choice right. over everything. Okay, like, well, I didn't choose white supremacy I, I don't have a choice around like racism, but I do have a choice about the decisions that I make and the ways that I respond to these things. And the, the ways that that shifts for me is part of unpacking my own internalized depression. When, I, when I'm listening to you speak, I can definitely like identify with what you're, what you're saying. And I kind of think of it like on a spectrum because I've been in situations and I know other people have been in situations where they're, you know, down and out carrying uh, burdens, issues, situations that are not their own. Like they're carrying their stuff and then the other person's stuff with them. Or, um, you know, they're on the complete other side where it's like, nope, that's yours to take. Um, my hands are clean and whatever, you know? Um, so it's it's so interesting to look at to like lay it out in front of you and be like, wow, there's layers upon layers upon layers and all, all, all of it needs to be unpacked. Like <laughs> all of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the next one. The next viral topic. So <laughs> that is in order to love who you are, you cannot hate the experiences that shaped you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call bullshit on that. I hate this quote. I fucking hate this quote. I'm going to be so, this is like, this is like a sneaky spiritual bypassing. So it is ridiculous to me. Okay. I'm going to pull it back just a little bit. <laughs> Don't pull so, back. Let's go. <laughs> so it is ridiculous to me to say that, like, for you to love yourself, you can't hate anything that happened to you. Mm -hmm. That's bullshit. Okay, so you're telling me that for me to love myself, and I do, I love myself so much, so much more than I did 10 years ago. Like, I love myself. But that for me to love myself, I am not allowed to hate what it actually was like when my ex raped me, mm. like what that actual experience was like, or whenever he was emotionally abusive, like the moments where I was like, Oh my God, I feel like crap because of like how he's treating me that I'm not allowed to hate the way that that felt. That's why it shaped me. That's why it's part of what shaped me. Like you're absolutely allowed to hate the actual experience the way it felt, what it was like in the moment that something happened and still be like, I see the lesson this is how I changed. This is the strength that I got from it. This is how I'm resilient. This is how it shaped me, but doesn't define me. 
this is maybe where I'm grateful for something here. You can have all those things and still hate what it was like in the moment. Mm. You can still hate the actual experience of it. So take a more extreme example because I could tell, I mean, I don't know who actually said like, who actually like said this quote because I heard it a few years ago and I was like, so it was bullshit then it's bullshit now. (laughs) But I'm like, this is, this is a, this is, this came out of someone's privileged mouth. Mm. If you have someone who watched their entire, their entire family got murdered in front of them. You're telling me that they can't love themselves and hate that they watch their mother's throat get slit or their baby brother get killed. That is absurd. Mm. Like that's actually toxic. I actually find this quote to be toxic personally, because it is this idea. It is this white spirituality because like the white spirituality industry is full of bypassing and love and light and sprinkling happiness on everything Mm -hmm. and ignores systemic oppression ignores like ignores so many things so this idea it's got this idea that like you're not allowed to feel quote bad or negative emotions that hate is bad that anger is bad that these things are that if you're if you feel these things you're not an evolved person so when when you have quotes like this you may have people who have suffered like horrendous trauma horrendous, awful experiences. There are people in the Sudan right now who are being raped, who are being beaten, who are being forced to do like disgusting things for the entertainment of the people who are, who are, who are holding them captive. And you're telling me that when they, if they, if they even come out of this and they come to a place where they can love themselves and they can be in a place of like, I, I have strength. This is how I have, this is who I've become and love themselves that they have to not no longer they have to no longer hate what was done to them like no it's this idea that you're not allowed to feel these bad things these quote bad things Mm -hmm. but those things are also human these emotions are human and so when we say like you're not you know your anger is bad or your anger is low vibe or like you can't feel hate or you can't feel disappointment you can't feel sad you can't feel grief when we say these things, what we're doing is denying people the full spectrum of their humanity and the full spectrum of their human expression and emotion. That is dehumanizing. And it's this idea of like, let's sprinkle love and light and happiness on everything. And you know, if you're not feeling those things, then you're not being a good enough or a spiritual enough person. So people suffer horrendous things. I mean, it doesn't even have to be horrendous. It could be like, man, I really hated breaking my leg. Like that, that sucked. Like I hated that experience. I hated that I was sitting on my ass for, you know, two months while my leg healed. Like Mm. it doesn't have to be this like horrendous experience, but we are allowed the full spectrum and hatred does not have to be this all consuming thing. Yeah. I hated like the actual experience of, you know, when my ex was emotionally abusive, is it like consuming me now? No, it's not. I am like a much stronger person. I have learned so much from that experience. I've learned so much from like that whole relationship, from things from before that. But the hatred is not, does not make me less human. It doesn't make me less evolved. It doesn't make me love myself less. The two things are not mutually exclusive. You can hate the way something felt when you were in it and still be like, I love myself or I'm even grateful for the experience. They're not mutually exclusive and it is toxic. I think it's toxic. I think it's spiritual bypassing and I think it's dangerous to tell people that they're not allowed to hate the things, the experiences that shape them if they love themselves. Cause now people who do, who do feel like, well, I do hate the way that that happened or I hated like what that felt like in the moment. It makes them feel like they're doing something wrong or like they're not being a good enough person. That's crap. You're fine. It's okay. It's okay to hate. It's okay to hate something that happened to you. Don't like, don't let it consume you. Don't let it eat away, but you're fine. It's cool. You're good. You're good. You're human. You're human. You're alive. You're, you have emotions just like anybody else. Yes. Yes. You know, like my hatred is not leading my actions, but it's like, yeah, that sucked. That sucked when I was in it, you know? I love that so much because when I saw this quote, I was like, there was something in me that was like reacting to it where I'm like, thinking about like my trauma and being like nope I hated that I really did and I was thinking those thoughts like does does that mean I'm a bad person does that mean that 
you know, and any number of things that yeah, have come up I because of my trauma. Trauma doesn't mean I have mm. to go back to my therapist. Doesn't mean Ooh. like all those things. It makes you question all those things. It. I mean, you're fine. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to hate the trauma that you experience and still be like, I know what I gained from that, and I'm glad that I gained it. Or even be like, I'm glad, or I can appreciate that I had that experience because of what I gained, and still be like, yeah, but I hated what it was like when I was in it. Mm. That's okay. I feel like we're such in a culture that's like this or that pick which yes, one exactly it's you like this both. one this one mutually exclusive <laughs> only one can win you can't you can't love and hate and it's like watch me <laughs> I, I bet you I'll prove you wrong <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness that is so funny because you see You're like I love myself and I hate white supremacy okay Period. White supremacy and the impact of white supremacy has helped shape me, but you know, I can still hate white supremacy. I can still right. hate that it exists. I can still hate the way it's, you know, leading to our black brothers and sisters and non non I don't know what the non what the gender neutral sibling term is. <laughs> sibling, our black non-blood siblings are mm-hmm. getting killed in the street by cops. I can hate that. Yeah. I still love myself. Oh Lord. <laughs> Oh Lord! I know I had a I had like a visceral reaction to that one. I was like, "Oh, I hate this quote." <laughs> like, stop telling people they're not allowed the full spectrum of their humanity. Right, and it's also it, it's like we we we're like scrolling so much that sometimes you don't even get to really take in these kind of messages, but it's in there. You read it. It's sitting in there. And so you can be internalizing that stuff and not even be realizing it. And that's holding you back in some way. And you're like, well, where did that come from? It came from Instagram. It came from... <laughs> yeah, uh, it came from Instagram. I don't even know who said it. <laughs> right. <laughs> probably, just some, probably just some chick at her computer. Like, who even knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And then we're like taking these things as like, as like wisdom. And it's like, you don't even know where that came from. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You don't even know where that came from. Why are you taking it as wisdom? Like, (laughs) I bet Gandhi said that. Question things. And especially as black folks who are, who are, um, if you are in or immersed in like the, the coaching industry, the spirituality industry, the wellness industry, these are all extremely white dominated. They're mm. white dominated. They're white centric. They are white led typically. Well, as a whole, as a whole industry, they are white led, which means they're also white supremacist in nature. So mm. question everything that comes at you because there are things, like I said, like this quote, and I was like, nope, that's wrong. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, uh-uh. <laughs> what we're not, it's just like, oh, when people are like, oh, that's not a, I don't like to think about that because it's like very low vibe and a very high vibe. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't like to think about cops killing black people in the street. I mean, I don't like to think about that either, but it right. must be so nice to be able to turn that off because it doesn't affect you. Right, right, right. You know, but like, meanwhile, my black ass, like every time I see a cop car, I'm getting anxious. Oh my god. That's great. Yeah. Your love it like your your high vibes, your high vibes is not doing anything to actually break down these systems of oppression. I kid you not. Thanks for your love and light. (laughs) (laughs) I kid you not. I was in the hair salon today. And um these these two white people were having a conversation about um slavery. And like I just I put my headphones on, I had to, because one of them was talking about um the the history of slavery um in italy i believe and the girl was like oh my god that is so rude like why would people do that and like rude that what wait what it's rude slavery was rude (laughs) girl i had to throw my headphones on because i was like oh my god oh my god do you know what country you're in (sighs) it was literally built on the backs and the blood and sweat of my ancestors. You're right. That was so rude. So rude. I'm like, uh, I don't know how that's the first thing that comes to mind, but I was just, and it's, it's crazy because those kinds of things happen all the time where it's like, okay, now I have to tune out because mm-hmm. I'm going to lose my shit. 
Like I'm, yeah. I, I just, I have to, I have to, for my sanity, <laughs> move forward. And then those, t- there's those times where like, nope, we need to stop and educate because I can't. Yes. Yeah. I do that too. I'd be like, you know what? This is literally not my job. <laughs> oh my literally God. Not my job to educate right. this person. So I'm going to go over there and <laughs> find me some crackers to eat <laughs> because I'm out. <laughs> You know, and that's like what that's it feels like a lot of the time, like a job. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Like, and then and, and that's the thing. It is literally some people's job. Like they actually make it their job to be like, I, I am going to educate these, these people. I'm going to educate white people. Mm-hmm. Now for me, I actually had to make that decision in my business when I started to shift my coaching from just like women in general to women of color. And then I've had several evolutions and now I'm working with black, like specifically people of the black diaspora. I had to make that decision when I made that shift of like, you know what? I was apprehensive about really starting to talk more about white supremacy and racism. I had started talking about patriarchy, but I was a little reluctant because I'm like, who's going to give me pushback? Mm. And I'm like, and then I'm going to have to sit here and get in these online battles. And I was like, wait, 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 actually I don't because I'm not here for white people's education. I am mm. specifically here. My work is specifically to uplift and inspire and ignite black folks and to guide them through the deep work they need to do. I'm not here to educate white people. You can go get your education elsewhere. I will let you know when you're overstepping. And then if you keep overstepping, I will block you. Okay. That's what I will do. Because I had to make that choice of like, no, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not, this is not what my time and energy is going to be spent on. So I'm very small well of, uh, I can't think of the right term. I have a very small well of, all right, I will do this emotional labor for white people. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, who are my close white friends? You get this <laughs> well of emotional labor. And then beyond that, it's like, I'm not doing this with you. Here's, here's some resources for you. I hear that because it's like, just like you said, there are some people like that's some people actually have that as a job, like job educate, uh, specifically white people. So I don't like, it's not every black person's job to kind of take that on for white people. And it's like, you should want to, to know, and you should go out and do that research. It shouldn't be like, let me have a black person hand this to me. No, you need to go use your resources and why you wouldn't want to know about that is beyond me. I mean, people love sitting in their entitlement and privilege. Oh Lord. They love it. Mm. They love it. And here's the thing is when, when, so white people are conditioned. They're socialized to, one, believe that they're entitled to anything that they want, everything. Mm-hmm. Because white, whiteness is centered in society. Mm-hmm. So they're, enti- they're, they're socialized to think that everything is actually about them mm-hmm. because they don't realize that everything is actually about them. They're like, mm-hmm. everything's about everybody. And it's like, no, it's actually about white people, which is why <laughs> I'm telling you that it's not about you right now. It's about me. Dear so white they're white people. Used to, yeah, they're used to thinking that everything is about them, that they're used to being the center. They're used to being the standard. They're used to being the default. So they're also used to and socialized and generationally conditioned to take what they want because, uh-huh. and especially from black people and indigenous people, that's, that's literally what they did. They took black people right. from a whole continent. They took another continent from indigenous people and then they put the black people on that continent and then made the black people work. And then also they took from, the, from our bodies. They took from are women and had the women nursing white children while their own babies were dying because they had nothing to eat. Mm. Like they are used to using black people and Mm. they don't even realize it. Like it's automatic because that's a society they've been indoctrinated into. That's why they have to actually unpack it. So that's why a lot of white people be like, but I want to learn, but I'm trying to learn. I'm like, did you, do you understand that right now what you're doing is the, is essentially the same as, if a man was sexually assaulting a woman and was like, be nice to me while you teach me how to not sexually assault you while Mm -hmm. I keep sexually assaulting you. Mm -hmm. That's essentially the same thing when white people demand our 
time and our education and our emotional labor. They mm-hmm. think that they're entitled to it. And a lot of us have been socialized to, to, to give and be right. like, okay, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. We actually don't have to do that. We don't have right. to do that, but we're socialized. We're socialized one way generationally to be everyone's workhorse. We're expected to be everyone's workhorse emotionally and physically and white people are socialized to um, think that they're entitled to our time and labor. Absolutely. And it's like, uh, with unpacking our own stuff, like you have to unpack like the, like that, that sort of thinking, especially when you're working in white spaces and you're constantly confronted, um, with these things. It's like, (laughs) it's constant work every second of the day. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing about this is part of toxicity is this white supremacist conditioning that white people have, but also this white supremacist conditioning that we have, Mm -hmm. that we have to respond a certain way. And part of that is based in survival. So this is actually how systemic oppression can lead us into or staying in or tolerating toxic situations that either we don't realize are toxic because they're normalized Mm -hmm. or we realize they're toxic, but we don't know how to get out because that's how we've been socialized. Or we feel like we have to do this for our survival. Like in a corporate setting, if you Mm. live in a, or if you work in a white dominated space, you might feel like, well, I kind of have to take X, Y, and Z behavior because I don't want to lose my job. That's real. Right. That's real. That's part of systemic oppression. And the reality is, depending on your environment, you really might lose your job because you are black and speaking up. That's mm-hmm. why I stay getting fired. Like I don't, I try not to work for for white people anymore because, <laughs> yeah. like, I just I keep getting I keep getting fired from places. Um, <laughs> but some people can't like they can't risk that. So right. uh, you know what? I'll give you an example. Something that happened earlier in the summer. So I was working like I was I was working in events like this big event that we had here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, I was like brought in, you know, like, uh, not freelance, I guess, but I was just like, like one of the workers, one of like the guides or something at this big event. It was like, I don't know, probably some 50,000, 60,000 people. And there's like us at the bottom who are the ones who are working the event, directing people, like guiding people. And then there's like our supervisors and then they were hired by another company that ran the event. And that event company was hired by the corporation that was, you know, whose event it was. So these are like the different layers. The reason I mentioned this is because the hierarchy here is important. Now everybody in my position, almost everybody in my position is black and brown, mm. primarily black, mostly women. Now the next level up, um, just kind of a toss up, but I think actually they were more like, Latinx and white. So those are like, like our supervisors. They are the, they're the company that hired the individuals. And then the event company, those are like white males. Well, not all white males, but like there are some white males up there. And these are people who like, they were flown in to run this event. Mm. Okay. So I'm, I'm at this event. We have like some 50,000 people who are going to come in for the keynote presentation and as people are coming in and we have to do this in like a super organized way like it could be a whole hot mess but they had this whole system we had to do in a super organized way and people don't listen so you really have to be specific about where people are going and the guy who was above my supervisor so part of like the event company who was flown in from I don't know probably California he came up grabbed me by my arm and bodily dragged me about five feet to a new spot five feet away. And I was like, so that wasn't right. (laughs) And it's like, there's this, I'm like, first of all, I am a black woman and I am, you are, you are a white male and you are over my bosses, not, not bosses, but like you are over my superiors. So there's a huge power dynamic here that's happening. That is a real problem for me. Mm. Because you actually saw fit to put your hands on my physical body and drag me. Now, let's take this into a bigger, a bigger picture. The systemic, the systemic white supremacy that's happening here. 
white men are conditioned to think that they can take whatever they want, that they can, that everything, that they're entitled to everything, including apparently black women's bodies, as we know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that he actually thought it was okay to drag me like that. That's part of his internalized white privilege and white supremacy to think that that is something that's acceptable. I am not the only person he did this to. Okay. Now on my end, there is, there could be the, like, I'm a black woman. I am like, I don't want to lose this, you know, this couple days of work that I'm doing. And I don't want to say anything because like, I need this money. I, I could have, like, there were other people who were like that. I could have, now, like I said, I stay getting fired. <laughs> so I was like, well, I know if he did it to me, he definitely did it to somebody else and probably nobody else is going to say something. So I did say something to my superior And she immediately took it to like the next superior. She wrote this like email. She's like, I want to get all the details. So she really handled it. And I really felt like she had, like she had my back. Um, But the fact that when I brought it up to the other people who were there, like the people at my level, Mm -hmm. one of them was like, I don't, I don't want to be part of this conversation. Like, I don't want, I don't even want to be seen like near you talking about this. I was like, for real? Like, that's the ways that systemic oppression can impact us as black people in particular and black women in, okay, I'm going to tolerate this because I don't want, I want to survive. I'm going to tolerate this because I don't want to lose this job. I'm going to tolerate this because of X, Y, and Z thing, or I'm going to go and do all these things to circle around it, to try and like fix it, even though it may not be my job to fix it, but that's part of our conditioning too. Oftentimes is like, this is how systemic oppression can lead us into tolerating toxic situations, or now I'm in this toxic job, but I don't feel like I can leave because of X, Y, and Z, or I'm in this toxic relationship and, you know, I'm staying here because I'm conditioned to, somebody said this on another podcast, that we as black women are conditioned to try to be someone's choice. Mm. That like, we're taught that we need to be someone's choice. Not that we're doing the choosing. And so if you've got this, I was like, holy shit, that was definitely me growing (laughs) up. And when you've got this conditioning that you have to be someone's choice, okay, now I'm trying to do things and I'm trying to shape myself because I need to be someone's choice because if I'm not, I'm not worthy. And it goes back into that conditioning. I have to be someone's choice or I have to be useful. I have to be this. So if the world and society and systemic oppression is telling you that, then your behaviors are going to reflect that which is why we have to do the work to unpack our own shit. This is, this is part of like, this is a big part of why I do the work that I do is like, let's look at the ways we've internalized our oppressions and our systemic oppression and how that is actually showing up in your life. Like for me, one of the ways it was showing up was staying with an abusive guy. Mm -hmm. And part of like that showed up in a lot of different ways in that relationship was like, I'm going to prove to him. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that he listens to me. He wasn't listening to me. <laughs> he was not listening to me. Yeah. Oh, no, for, hey, it really hurts me when you do this. Can you please not? Huh? It really bothers me. Like, it's hurtful when you do this. Can you please not do that? It really hurts my feelings. Nothing. Or I'll bring something up and like, he will literally leave, leave the building. Literally leave the building in the middle of my sentence. And not like I brought it up aggressively or I was angry or anything. I was just like, hey, uh, so you keep doing X, Y, and Z or that I wasn't okay with this. I'm like, I'm still, I'm still talking. You're walking out the door. Like, why am I dealing with that? Because X, Y, and Z messages that I got from society that in many different ways are showing up as how I'm interacting in this relationship, how I'm interacting in this job, how I'm interacting in, you know, whatever other possible toxic situation that I might be in. All of that plays a part. And we have to do the work to look at why we're making our own decisions and where we can change them. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you're like, or you can't right away. Sometimes you have to take other steps before you can change the situation. But we have to look at that because otherwise we're going to end up staying in that same situation or ending up in a similar situation after. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, lessons continuing to repeat themselves until you're like got it yeah you're like oh you're like or uh um i saw it it was like a meme it was was a meme or a tweet or something like that that was about like like uh you know 
me and there was an image i don't remember what the image was but it was like me after the or the ancestors after they've told me over and over not to not to do x y and z i'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) where they're just like oh like rolling their eyes it's like a picture of somebody rolling their eyes like oh my god you're doing it again right right yeah that's kind of how it feels like man how many times i gotta learn this lesson like eventually you either learn the lesson or you figure out a way out of this situation you find a way to navigate it or to change it. But sometimes even the ways that we try to quote fix or change a situation actually perpetuate the situation. Mm. So we got to like, like that's why it takes that deep work. And like, we have to do that work. Lord. Even talking about doing the work is like exhausting. I'm like, Oh, yeah, Jeez. I know. It's tiring. It's like, <laughs> damn, I had to do the work and then the work never stops. Like, do I even want to start this? <laughs> it's like, you do. You know, some people don't. Here's the, here's the reality. Some people don't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. Some people some people don't actually want to change their situation because their oppressions are a ready-made excuse for why they're not where they want to be, mm. for why things aren't the way they want them to be. Again, I, this is not like a victim-blaming thing. This is the reality, is that some people get attached to the things that are holding them back because they know why they're being held back. It's scary to be like, well, what if I let this go and I really fucking tried? Because you might let it go and really, really try, and then you might fall flat on your face and then feel like, oh, what did I even do that for? Now I'm a real failure. Now it's not that X, Y, and Z was holding me back. Now it's just that I'm not good enough. And that's what a lot of us are afraid of is that we're not good enough or that we're not worthy because that is the message in so many thousands of different ways that we get from the world around us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. That's, that's why they like call it a comfort zone. It's just comforting. It's, it's safe here. Like yeah. it, I, I, I know this, it's familiar and I, I'm comfortable here. And I, I feel like you said something earlier about like that fear. And I think I saw something on your website about fear being a teacher. Yes. And I was just yes. like, um, yeah, that's very real. And like, it, it's so much easier to kind of just uh, allow that fear to be there as opposed to kind of like pushing back on it because of exactly what you just said. Like, that's scary to be like, mm. so it's not this outside entity or whatever. It's me. It's just me. I'm the problem. And those messages that you've been telling yourself, it's like, okay, well, that's definitely true. And then where do you go from there? It's like, once you fall flat, you hear all the time, like, there's nowhere to go but up. But it's like, first you have to, like, get there. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And and so when it comes to fear, and like I say about fear being a, fear being a teacher, I would say instead of pushing against it is actually you can use fear and learn from your fear and be like, oh, this is what's actually going on. And now I know how to navigate through. Mm. Okay. So like, if you think of your comfort zone and I don't know why I visualize this as like a wall, like a big circle. And there's like a big wall, like Mm. a, like a brick wall or something, some kind of wall around. And it's like that wall is fear, but there are chinks in it. There are cracks in it. And so fear, if you're like, I'm trying to think of an example. If you're like, okay, I really, really want to speak on stage, but I'm afraid because a lot of people are afraid of public speaking. Mm-hmm. Like I'm afraid, I'm afraid to go up on stage. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to even like, I'm afraid to even step into that arena. I'm not even going to try. Mm-hmm. Like that's what fear, that's what your comfort zone wants you to do is be like, eh, 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 no, what, what you're not <laughs> going to do is speak on stage, girl. What you're going to do is sit down, <laughs> you know? And so when you look at that fear and you're like, okay, well, what am I really afraid of? Mm-hmm. Like what, what's really, what am I really afraid of in speaking? Like, why am I afraid to take that step? Why am I afraid to, to pursue this? And you start navigating. It might be like, because I'm afraid that I'm going to get up there or I'm going to try and I'm going to try and book these speaking gigs. And they're going to be like, uh, that's not like, that's not good enough. What you're really afraid of is that you're not enough. Mm. You're not afraid of speaking 
the fear quote fear of speaking is like the symptom of the deeper fear. And mm. so when you're like, Oh, this is actually about this other thing, then you can address the other thing and then navigate through towards what it is that you want to, to pursue or to do. It might be like, I'm afraid to leave this person. Okay. Why are you afraid to leave this person? You know, and there might be real reasons like I'm, I'm a stay home mom and I can't support me and my child without this income from this person. It might be, um, I'm actually afraid for my life if I leave this person. It might be, I'm afraid to leave because I don't know how I'm going to feel when I see them get with somebody else. That mm. could be real too. Or it might be, I'm afraid to leave because, you know, I put so much into this and then it was, it was worthless if I leave. You know, it's, it's worthless. And if it's worthless, that means I'm worthless. Mm. Or it means that I failed and I didn't try hard enough. Like whatever it is, it might be, you have to get to that. That's how I ended up leaving. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, I know that I, like, I would recognize, I'd be like, this is an emotionally abusive relationship. I know that I need to leave, but I'm not ready to leave yet. So what's going on for me that's making me stay? And it was like every day for months and months and months, I was like, all right, what's going on for me? But the fear is a lot of times, you know, the way we approach fear is you run away you completely pull back from it and run away or you're like, Oh, I'm going to pound up against this and I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to make it. And you like grind and, and like you're fighting yourself. Mm -hmm. Whereas the way I teach, because I, I do this in, in my coaching as well is shaping, reshaping your relationship to fear is like, all right, let's dig deeper down and get to what's really going on and address that. Cause it doesn't mean fear is not going to come up. It doesn't mean that fear, like fear is also a condition. It can be a conditioned response. Doesn't mean it's not going to come up. Doesn't mean that you're never going to fear feel fear again. Cause that's bullshit. But mm. when you actually know what the real fear is, when it comes up again, you'll be like, Oh, I know what this is. I know how to actually navigate around it because this is not, this is fear of a story that I'm not choosing to live anymore. So these are the things that I'm going to do to live the story and live the person that I really am. I love that because like, it's like step one is like the awareness, right? Sometimes yes. you have that awareness. Um, you have that logic, but it means nothing. Like you knowing that can be a thing, but what are you doing? What are your actions? Like, are, are, is there a connection there? Because I find myself being like, listen, it's not that deep. Don't go off. And then my heart's like, doom, 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 go off, go off, go off. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's not, it's probably not the right thing to do. It's not the reasonable thing to do. Logically, I, I'm aware. I, I don't give a shit. My emotion, my emotions, my heart, uh, everything else, uh, like those patterns that I built up, it feels good to follow through with what I've always followed through with, which is overreacting going off you know it doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't feel good to kind of stop in the moment and kind of look at that self-awareness and follow through with that you know yeah oh. yeah <laughs> so it's like it takes practice to be like pause absolutely what's coming up for me here or why does this matter or where did i learn this from mm. Like some of these fears or these things or these ideas about like, well, I'm afraid I'm not going to be good enough. It's like, all right, where did you learn that from? Or why does that matter? What, what would that mean? What does that say about you? Like, these are things, these are part of the inquiry when it comes to fear. Because as you do that exploration, it's like, all right, I know what's actually coming up for me. Now I know how to handle it. Right. And that, that exploration is crazy. Cause you're just like, <laughs> this is scary. I don't like it. Like, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it, it takes it. And that's the thing is when it comes to fear, it takes a huge amount of truth speaking. Mm. So like truth speaking and fear actually kind of go together. Mm. Be um, oftentimes they go together because to really navigate fear and really like do that exploration into your fear to change your relationship to it. So that it's your teacher and you're like, all right, cool. Now I know what's going on you have to be really honest about what's going on. But at the same time, being really honest, sometimes it's like, Ooh, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to be honest about that because 
like whatever's going on over there is something I don't want to face. So the two often play, play into each other. And the thing is, with fear being your teacher, fear can also be your guide. So if you're like, oh, I know I'm afraid of this. Like, I know that I'm afraid um, if you're somebody who's like, okay, I know that I'm afraid of um, disappointing people because it means that I'm, uh, I'm afraid that like, I'm actually not enough. Like, that's the deeper down fear. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, when that stirs up, that's your signal of like, oh, I know I need to actually like go this way because it's going to challenge this deeper belief or this deeper fear that I'm not enough. So I'll give you like a, a different example. A, a year and a half ago, I shaved my head. I shaved off all of my hair. Mm. And part of what was going on for me was I was like, man, I'm seeing like some of these people and they got shaved heads and it looks so good. And I kind of <laughs> want to do that myself. And then the stir of thoughts that came up were, are you still going to be feminine? Are you still going to be desirable? And as much as I hated to admit it, because we operate in a world that is centered on the male gaze, are men still going to find you attractive? Right. And so that ties into like a not enough or not feminine enough or, and that's not even my idea of femininity. And so once I realized that these like heteronormative patriarchal ideas were coming up, I was like, well, now I have to shave my head because now I have to challenge these, Mm. these beliefs that I have, or not these beliefs, but these ideas, the, that are coming up for me. And since I already wanted to shave my head, I'm like, now I have to shave my head because it's going to prove to me, it's going to take that step to be like, I defy these patriarchal bullshit Anglo Anglo standards of beauty. And I I can do this and still feel sexy and still feel and still be desirable and still be X, Y, and Z. So I did it. Like fear was my guide. It was like, oh, I'm having these feelings and these thoughts that are not actually mine. They're social conditioning and they're not really my fears. So I'm going to go do this thing because that's going to actually challenge the fear in a big way. It's a big action that's going to help to dismantle these ideas. And it did. I tell you, I was getting like more and better sex with a shaved head. <laughs> like I shaved my head, I was like, yeah. <laughs> that makes me actually feel so good because I was literally at the salon today shaving my head. Ah, yay. <laughs> literally today. And it's crazy because everything you're saying is all the thoughts that are going through my head. I'm like, okay, now I got to go to the nail salon, get my nails done. Uh, like you have to know I'm feminine, you know, Th- that's what was coming up. For yeah. Me. Like, okay. I got to look like a girl. Okay. But then who taught us that that's what femininity is? Right. White supremacy did. Mm. Because femininity is based on largely a white image of a woman. Mm-hmm. Oh Lord. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> this summer it's been it's been my legs. Like I haven't shaved my legs in like, I don't know, two or three months. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I still I'm kind of like, oh, is someone gonna say something? Is someone <laughs> gonna like judge me? And I'm like, I'm so proud of like my leg hair right now. <laughs> like I'm like, yeah, and I like to feel the breeze in my leg hairs when I'm walking down the street. Cause I can tell you I've been wearing shorts and shorts and skirts all summer, go to the gym with my hairy legs, and I'm like, I don't care. Love these hairy legs. So like that's right now is like I defy patriarchal beauty standards. (laughs) I love that. Now I'm just going to be walking around thinking about that all day because you're like, it's something that, that like crosses your mind, but it's super hard to just be like, "Mm, I like it. And I'm going to do this because you're just Uh between Instagram models, Facebook, Twitter. It's just like, I don't look like that. Yeah, and all the ways that we in general as black women don't look like the Anglo standard of beauty. Mm, mm-hmm. And so we're never actually going to uphold it because we don't look like that. Right. So then to defy it even further and be like, I'm shaving my head, I'm growing my leg hair out or something, or like, look at these hairy armpits or something like that. <laughs> right. You know, it's like all of these things, we already get these negative messages about us as black women when we're like primmed and everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you want to be like wig laid, mm-hmm. okay, like edges like you want to do all of that feast like face beat like go right ahead if you if that's what you want but like if you don't want to that's okay too right you know and we get all these messages even when you even when you look like that mm-hmm. people will be like oh she's fat or she's too skinny or like she's wearing too much makeup or like, it's like everybody always got something to say right you know so it's like hey let's challenge let's challenge the norm let's challenge the the status quo I love that so much. 
Oh my God. I could literally be sitting here talking about this all day. I'm so, <laughs> I cannot believe we've been talking for this long. Um, I know. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to keep going. <laughs> oh, right. Like I could literally sit here all day talking about this. Um, and I, I, I love, um, your point of view, especially being a black woman. I'm just like, yes, come with the wisdom. Let's hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Is there anything, any new projects on the horizon? Anything you want to talk about? Let the people know. Oh, geez. I don't know. Well, um, you can check out my podcast, Melanated Rising, uh, which you can find at kristeniris.com slash melanated rising. Um, and I would definitely recommend subscribing on whatever platform you listen on because I drop like mini episodes and sometimes after afterthoughts to a previous episode, which I had released one today. Um, but they're, they're only up for five days. So like if you subscribe, you'll know when it's released, but otherwise then you can get it on my, my Patreon page. Um, but yeah, as far as things that are coming up, uh, well, I'm about to start a program, but I think it'll probably have started by the time this episode comes out. Mm. <laughs> so that's all right. But yeah, check out my website, kristenirus.com. I also do, um, this is actually a little bit new and it's not on my website yet, uh, but I do some creative consulting. So I do script reviews for people who have written screenplays, um, reading it, reviewing it, giving you feedback on characters, on plots, on like narratives or, or things, ideas that you might be perpetuating that are kind of problematic. <laughs> so that's like one of the, one of the elements that I bring, bring into it as well is like, Hey, just so you know, like, this is how you're portraying people. And that's the only portrayal you're putting in here. And this is, this is a stereotype or, or something like that. But I do that. And then also a uh, story, story consulting, because, um, I do, Development. So I'm on the development team with Megamind Media, which is a Black-owned film production company. Mm -hmm. And so I help to develop the, the projects that we produce. And so I am also going to be bringing that to people who are, you know, writing novels, who are like, hey, I'm having trouble with this, or, you know, they're stuck in their story, or they just want some help with the story is... I can be your consultant to help you work out what's going on and what, how to, you know, how to, how to break through and like get the story going and really make it the best that you can. So those are some of the things that I'm doing, but definitely check out the podcast. And uh, I do have coaching offerings, one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching. My group program, like I said, will have started. And I probably won't, won't start another one until next year. But if you follow me on Instagram at Kristen Iris, then you will be uh, up to date on what's going on. And also I definitely update on my podcast as well. So it's definitely more, more information dialogue going on there. <laughs> Beautiful. I want to thank you so, so much. I actually, I actually think this is going to be my first episode that I'm dropping. <gasps> oh, yay! <laughs> so. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm like, it can't not be. There was just too many gems dropped here. <laughs> But I want I definitely want to thank you for coming on. Um, and everybody go follow Kristen. So that thank you. Is that. <laughs> um, and see you guys next time. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you're liking what you hear. And definitely follow me on Instagram at ToxicAFPod or my personal Twitter, Ellis the Poet, E-L-Y-S the Poet. I wanna hear from you like seriously at me <laughs> okay bye